Hi, everyone. Welcome to Humans of AI, where we meet the people building the technology that's changing the world. I'm Sheikh. Today's guest is Ahmed Rashad, CEO of Sapien, where he focuses on innovations in how training data gets labeled. Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sheikh. Uh, so, Ahmed, the very first question I ask all of my guests is, how would you describe your work to a five-year-old? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so my work actually starts with uh, with AI. So if you think about AI, and AI is able to figure out what's going on in the world or do something that we currently do as humans. And for it to be able to do that, a human needs to go in and tell AI over and over again, hey, this is a person. This is a core. This is the right way of doing this. This is not the right way. And you need to do that over and over again. And this is human feedback, data that AI. So we specialize in the human feedback that goes into AI and specifically around high quality, high complexity. Sounds great. Nice and clear. I think my kids could follow that as well. Cool. Uh, well, uh, you know, you've had such an interesting career, Ahmed. Um, I think you started as a drilling and engineer, then tackled different parts of the uh, of, of the tech world. Tell us just about your uh, career journey overall. And, uh, you know, what were some of the inflection points along the way that led to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, actually, even, even from before that, I always had a, I always had a knack or I want to solve problems. I generally don't care about the context. I just want to solve interesting problems. I don't know why they were working with interest. So um, I started I started my career with mechanical engineering training. And I started my career as an offshore oil driller, uh, mostly in training in the North. Beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful scenery in the North. Uh, <laughs> it's it's quite, quite fun. And we have this problem. We were doing this specialized job where we needed a lot of, a lot of, a lot of equipment to we need a lot of uh, new tools and fair parts and so on and so forth. And uh, I didn't have enough space. So I didn't have enough space. Like I had to figure out how to put everything in place to fit. And it wasn't, it wasn't working. So I figured out there could be a solution. I could build a software that actually tells me what I need and when I need it. Because also I lost it. I didn't. Hmm. Uh, went to learn how to code, build that solution. And uh, it's surprised actually. And um, that's that's when I uh, that's that was how I first transitioned in the tech. I was telling someone randomly at a party. Like I was on off on short. Sent someone in the party. It told me my age. I was like, "Hey, kid, what do you do?" And I started telling you, and it was surprising because I didn't know this was my side project. I had no clues. And this is interesting. Can you show me? And I showed him. Do you want to do this full time? And I was like, "What is this? I actually don't know what this is." It's like just doing what he's. <laughs> oh, good. Well, girl. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, that's our transition today. Uh, it was it was a VP at Oracle was transitioning all to start his own start, mm-hmm. and uh, I joined them uh, for a few years, and then I uh, then I joined Oracle, I worked on product there as well, and, um, and then I started hitting me again that itch, itch where I'm, I I won. But there was this inch where I can, I feel my hands are tied because I cannot solve all my client's problems. And I cannot solve them because I'm limited to the tools I have in my head, but I'm specialized in opposite of time. Opposites, you need tools, technology, and humans. Um, you need polarization. And you need strategy to bind it all together. And I was very tied to the technology part, actually a subset of 
mm-hmm. are false. Well, who are the people who actually are able to look at this? And well, first of all, you can have CEOs uh, or CEOs and so on and so forth. Um, uh, the other option is actually consulting, consulting. We thought, okay, so who are the consultant companies? Start doing more research, figure out, okay, we can our, uh, our, our, our grade there and they cover everything in extensive detail. So I'm going to go John McKinney and uh, decided to take a little, uh, not break and said, kind of no break. With regards to with that, where T is started, uh, started ops research and budgeting and transitioning four years later. Uh, four years later, I, I, I tried almost every industry and almost every use case I could get my hands on. Because um, it was this unique opportunity, right? Like no one, no one really would trust you. Like they know you have no idea, you have no clue about this industry. You don't know the customer, you don't know the case, you don't know anything about it. They will trust you to figure it. And this is unique. This is beautiful in so many ways. Mm. And I wanted to get as much of it as possible. Um, which led me to, but then at McKinsey, I, I also found, I called me Hollywood this, Support that we get to just called recovery and transformation. And basically, it's a company not doing well, hand over parts of the company to run. No, can't pay. So it's, it's a very different mode of engagement. Um, and again, this was random. All this is random. Well, <laughs> um, and, uh, I was, I was all, I am talking to people in Amazon and I was like, oh, we have this business that isn't doing well. We can do this RT, XSM, whatever. There and tried to turn around. I was like, sure, let's so did that. Um, did that uh, with one business with another, and um, and then as as I was doing all of this, I got contacted by Scale AI. And we're early on, we're serious about letting know in evaluation, um, and uh, they they uh, they had troubles, uh, but the expertise was solid. They needed someone could steal this. And uh, I joined them, fantastic team, frankly, one of the parts, one of the inflection points of my career, where I was in this entirely new to, I was in this incredible territory, where we didn't try before. There was no roadmap, there was no guidance, there was nothing, because no one did it before. And we we're just figuring it out. We did. And fast forward, the company's half billion dollars, uh, the, the amount of work done, for example, when I joined, we were doing about 14,000 hours of work a week. Wow. By the time I left, we were worth of two and a half million a week. It's incredible. Recruited million people. In my first two years, it's just ridiculous numbers. <laughs> I wouldn't believe it myself. I had run there. <laughs> I will, uh, yeah. And now, thanks. My co-founder, Trevor. Started talking some months along that uh, along that journey. There um, was there a specific aha moment that motivated you to co-found Sapien. Yeah, and so uh, so it was it, it's it's incredible because it was, it was something that was building up, and then there was the aha moment. It was building up while I was at scale, and I was I was reflected back on what we did and how we did it, and at the time it was the best option, best outcome, just the best we could have done. Knowing what's renewed. Yeah. Um, but I always reflect as like, okay, if I do this again, this is how, if I do this again, this is, and then frankly, I didn't go anywhere with him. Um, and then I started talking to Trevor and he started asking all these questions. He started asking why, 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 why? I mean, he, he kind of knew the answer. He just wanted to, to see how it's going. And 
And we started having this conversation and then it hit me. It's like, oh, it's, it's actually incredible. There's this huge chunk of the market that's completely unaddressed. And it, it, I knew it through the back of my head, but I, I never really crystallized in front of me. It's like, oh, this is, the market's huge. The market's actually way bigger than I thought it was. Hmm. Or then I, I chose to believe what it was because I was living in this area of what the market is for scale. Yeah. This yeah. full slew of other market that's probably bigger than what scale and all the other comments are working on. Let's go do it. Oh, and by the way, this time, I mean, that was the aha moment. And then it was like, and the second aha moment was, hold on, we're not just going to do it. We're actually going to go slow, go fast. We're actually going to do this the way, doing all I know now. We're going to do it the perfect way based on what I know now. Hmm. And because the market is so, so dynamic and, and the world is in general so dynamic, we're actually going to put in a lot of effort into making this flexible so that we're not locked into a little operation as we were. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was the hard moment, a bunch of lies. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, as, a, as an ex-Amazon guy, um, at this stage of where Sapien is right now, what um, Amazon LP do you think is most important for you right now? Yeah, <laughs> Uh, funny story about that. I, I got a, I got a, first joint was at the piece. So all you think about were, were LPs. I, I think, I think he, he laughed, but I think I almost got fired too. <laughs> I, I think, I think they're wrong. Yeah. It was this new guy coming in, you know, I was like telling us your LPs that we just worked wrong. <laughs> so I was like, okay. nice ballsy move. I didn't plan it. It was just like, I was just laughing, right? Uh, and so, okay. So here, here's customer obsession is a tip. If we have to mention it, then if we have to tell people that you need to obsess with a customer, that it's not the right home. Uh, but I understand that as a company grows, you need to iterate again and again and again to send the culture. But in general, yeah. obsession like yeah. Beyond that, there are two things that matter. One, deliver results. And two, hire and develop the best. Everything else is the means to get to those two objectives. Hmm. So in Amazon's peak, those are the inputs. And the inputs yeah. are everything else. Uh, dive deep, uh, or write a lot because of it. and so on and so forth. Yeah. So those are the only two things that matter. Sorry, to answer your question, actually, my favorite LP is our write a lot. Uh huh. Cause it, it, it's not just luck or intuition. Like the way you build intuition is by doing the gritty, the things getting, getting your hands dirty, going and doing it over and over and over again. That's how intuition builds. It's all magic. Absolutely. It's, it's a type of compounded interest right there. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, uh, what, one of the fascinating uh, approaches you're taking with uh, Sapien is uh, it seems to be very much a um, uh, game mechanics-based experience to really engage the community and lead to higher quality data labeling there. In, um, in designing the experience of the, of the people doing the actual tagging, what was your way to get... Um, customer feedback and, and really un- understand that, um, that engagement loop. So, so actually it starts, it starts a little bit before that. When we decided to, when we thought about it, and I, 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 I understand the expression daily, I don't like it as much. I prefer human feedback into, into AI data sets or human feedback in general. And the reason I like that because it emphasizes the, the most critical component of this process, which is the human. Yeah. So you said it. Humans are the most critical component. So we're going to start with the human. We work our way backwards and we're going to figure out everything that's, that's problematic with the humans today. 
we're in America. We're, I talked to a lot of people I heard, and then we went to talk to thousands of others, like labelers, people who do data labeling, either uh, casually or professionally, and literally build a product through that around, around them, around what are their priorities, what matters to them. And, uh, and that's the first part. And, and, and we, by the way, we also involved a long bit in the product development because mm-hmm. we keep involving these things in our ivory towers. I need actual people who are going to use it to, to tell me what it is. And that's the first part of the customer. The second customer for us is the, is the, is the researcher or the scientist or the engineer or the company using the, this data. And we capture the, we capture the feedback traditionally. Uh, and, and for them, they don't care as much about working mechanics or any about. They, they just hear about high quality data, a good cost, a good time, and whether I can scale or not. Hmm. Um, for the, for the labeler, it's whole slew of things. They're involved in the design. We talk to, we talk to labelers daily. Uh, we, we try and use things regularly and get their feedback. Uh, we incentivize them to give, give us feedback. They're, they're part of building this. And this is for them. Want them to go with themselves. I'm, I'm just, a, I'm just providing <laughs> all this stuff. In the middle. But it's clear design. Yeah. Huh. Well, as you've been uh, going through this um, rigorous uh, testing and development process, getting tons of feedback from both sides of, of the market there, are there any major assumptions that you had going into this that have been turned around? Uh, yes. Uh, the whole hypothesis was revised a few times, actually. Uh, because we, we, we started spinning our wheel on well, how do you do feedback? Let's build these complex algorithms and let's build these complex uh, AI and ML ventures and let's do all of these things and supervised and offices and all of that. And, and, and after a while, we just completely trashed that hypothesis after a realization. The biggest problem today with blocking, paying people almost quickly, uh, reviewing quality uh, on the spot, uh, evaluating quality on the spot, giving people feedback immediately, uh, and well, it can actually be scarcity of the resources. Uh, why resources are scarce because test, test, tests are getting more complicated. It's actually all about the complexity of the test. So if we can simplify the test to very, very, very tiny weighted components, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, everything else becomes easier. There was a massive realization that if we break down the task, instead of having to teach you 50 things, I can teach you one. And guess what? It's even better if you already know that. I actually don't need to train you on it. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. And if I, the task has 50 components and five of them are, are require super high skills, why have the one person with the super high skills do 50? Help them do the five and spread out the rest to everyone else. Yeah. Huh. To increase faulty while reducing costs. In, um, in, in choosing to um, work with Sapien, then, um, what are some of the ways that you motivate people to? Um, uh, be a part of your community versus others there. What are some ways you are innovating the worker experience? So, so the, the core hypothesis, so everything is mismatch, but at the end of yeah. the day, the hypothesis is I'm assuming people are good and people want to do all we have to do is show them what good empower them to do it. And yeah. Now, from that, the hypothesis and the mechanics are evolving, but for now, because we are, because we can, we remove a lot of the management infrastructure, we removed a lot of the overhead costs. We're only having people do parts of the cost of the product that are expensive, only because people do expensive parts and so on. We can't afford to pay people more. And that's one of the pay them more. The second motivation is actually steps. 
So leaderboards, uh, fanfare, where someone consistently does a good job pulling, right? Not mm-hmm. just within their own screen, but actually in their community. Uh, three, make the work easier and more, more fulfilling. Make it more fun. And, and that's where we borrowed a lot from you. Hmm. How, do you, how do you keep your repetitive gate interesting? That's, that's literally, we're building that into our mechanics. Uh, and then last but not least is genuinely care for the people. Genuinely talk to them while you care about their well-being, not just to, they're, they're, not that you're trying to extract information from them or work. Talk to them, care about them, and go talk to them. And big surprise, it works. <laughs> and, awesome. But if you fake it, it doesn't work. So right? yeah. it's really locked, right? You can fake it. People sense. But if you yeah. genuinely care, it will work. They will know that you care. With the with the gaming focus there, my fingers are crossed for some type of Fortnite integration at some point down the road. Uh, so we're not developing. We're not going to be developing a, a triple A game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not promising, but... <laughs> uh, the way I think about it, it's, it's less of a game, it's more of a game environment. Understood. Tenfold of that is, and, and the, the whole idea isn't to create a game. The whole idea is to make this difficult to work requires a lot of focus and concentration and can, can create a lot of fatigue. Yeah. How do you it simple? So the breakdown actually makes it more fun while without sacrificing efficiency, because like, we sell the efficiency. Uh, no, so it makes it more fun. It makes it more engaging. Uh, we also develop a lot of skins for the, for the actual labeling interface. People can choose whatever skins they want. Um, so there's a, there's a casino interface. There's hmm. a certain graph too. So oh, interesting. Interface, so on and so forth. There's a nature interface and so on. So, so part of it, it, it makes the screens and, and the pointers and, and the shortcuts and all that not as exhausting on the eye. And at mm. the same time, it makes it non-monotonous because you can always change it. And a few things change in the screen, like, oh, where are your multiplier? Where are your score multipliers showing up? Where are your points are showing up? And so And the other part of gamification is, uh, is part of it's some incentives where you can, the, the more good work you do consistently, you start inheriting a multiplier that goes higher or score straight. And mm-hmm. for every task that you bury, it's actually that what the base point per test times the multiplier, and that's how many points you are. So you start earning more per test, and you see it live in front of you, and you don't want that multiplier to go down, right? Because you know, yeah. like, hey, you gotta be careful, watch out, pay attention, and you pay attention to multipliers. Got it, got it. Huh, interesting. Has um, w- working on labeling uh, complex data types, has, um, has hardware been a limiting factor at all in terms of the power of the cell phones and, and computers that people use to, to, to do the work. I'm wondering how you're distilling complex data down into a bite-sized chunk. So in most of the cases we've taken on so far, it hasn't been because, because it's, it's managed. Right? And because you simplify the task, you break it down, you truncate it, you, you, crop, the, you crop the images and so on and so forth. And, and because you don't need the high fidelity of everything, you actually compress them quite a bit. So it hasn't been. There are a couple of cases uh, in the medical field where you actually high fidelity you need, you need yeah. the entire image, and uh, hardware has been a bit challenging for that. Uh, we're currently working on a couple of options to minimize one the bandwidth required, and two uh, the the well the hardware needed, 
Yeah. Because it can be very restrictive. Like one of the cases, for each case, the person needs to evaluate the doctor who's evaluating the case needs to look at anywhere between five and 12 images, and each one is about two cases. Wow. That's a lot for one task. Wow. That's a fun engineering problem with latency to solve. It's an incredibly fun engineering problem where we're exploring a bunch of other options, but we're surprised, surprised the whole about yeah, well, <laughs> Slipping stuff apart and then stitching them back together. Um, yeah. We're in the... Come on. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, uh, shifting gears a bit, just um, talking about the various AI tools in general, there's obviously an explosion in, in, in the market right now. I'm wondering, just looking at your individual workflows, are there any ways you're using AI tools on a day-to-day, day-to-day basis? So there are ways that we are. So there are three ways. We, one is for our own productivity internally and so on and so forth. And two is uh, we are actually developing, uh, we're developing AI applications to basically label parts of the task. Uh, so because if you can automate it, then you don't need humans to do it, which is easier, simpler, faster, cheaper, all of those things. And then the, the third way is actually in our quality tracking, where we use, we use basically machine learning linters to validate or predict the probability of something being, as being good or not. Yeah. So, so we actually, we actually use quite a bit of AI, but our principle there is I don't want to use AI for the sake of checking the box and say, I use AI for a labeling, I use AI for checking quality. And right, right. At the end of the day, I'm solving for this process that involves humans. And if the AI is going to make the whole process faster, cheaper, with higher quality, then is it? If not, I'm going to either stop doing it or iterate on. So I don't want to check a box. I actually want it to be useful in the process. Yeah. Yep. That's a great framework to have. The um, the very last question I have for you, Ahmed, is um, looking at team and talent. As you're building your team at Sapien, outside of just solid experience, you know, what are some character traits you look for in new hires? And what, what are some of your interview strategies to assess for those? Actually, uh, I actually documented this and to, to a large extent because I want to standardize it and normalize for the um, company now and moving forward. And the way, the way I think about it is early stage, you need different types of people than mid-stage and later stage of on the now, but there are a few things that I want people to have. One, I want them to always have a free-for-all best idea with them. Hmm. Two, uh, I want people who are owners. No task is above or below them. We're only in the business of delivering results and hiring and developing the best. Nothing else matters. We'll do whatever we need to do. Uh, three is People who have an internal locus of control, basically, they solidly believe that they happen to the world. The world doesn't happen. It doesn't matter what's happening. You cannot control the world. The only thing you can control is yourself and your actions and your choices and your thoughts. I want people with that mindset. And then four is I want people who do not split the difference. If we're splitting the difference, if we're negotiating, it means we don't have the same objective. We have different, we have different views. We're trying to solve for different things. I want people who are obsessed with defining the problem, aligning on what the right outcome is, and then working together to find the right outcome, wherever it comes from. My opinion, your opinion, 
her opinion, his opinion, doesn't matter. Rank, pedigree, experience, all that stuff doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's about quality of your ideas and your ability to execute. Uh, and then lastly, I want people who operate in tight formation and people who are just, hmm. so one another thing boards from Amazon actually is no, no, we don't use weasel words, for example. I, I, I banned the rules completely. Like, what well, better? What does better? I don't know. I don't understand. Right? Like, show me the number. Uh, so we are growing. Okay. How much? Why is this growing? I don't know. Yeah. So people just said, Cole was be very specific. Helps keep everyone focused. Those are great. It seems like very much a haiku of the LPs that you're living right there. That converts a tough one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Ahmed, that's all I um have for now. Thank you so much for sharing more about your world and what led you here. It sounds like you're on a exciting mission right now, and it'll be fun to talk to you again in a couple months to see um how the experiments have panned out. That sounds wonderful. I'm I'm very excited. It's and it's weird. It's it's incredible. <laughs> it really is. It's scary and weird and difficult and beautiful at the same time. It's well, yeah. <laughs> Best of luck. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 